So Job chapter 3, let's begin reading in verse 1. It says, After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job spoke and said, May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which it was said a male child is conceived. May that day be darkness. May God above not seek it nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the year. May it not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout come into it. May those curse it who curse the day. Those who are ready to arouse Leviathan, may the stars of its morning be dark. May it look for light but have none, not seeing the dawning of the day. Because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide sorrow from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me or the breasts that I should nurse? Wow, that's heavy, huh? You know, in case you didn't know, I, I think most of you do, but, you know, Job is, is, he's lost everything. He lost all his wealth. He lost, more importantly, all his kids. They all died. He was covered in painful sores and boils from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head. And all that is amplified with a voice that's shouting from the devil himself. And so, you know, Job is, is going through some hard times. And basically, as he's there and he's in the middle of all this misery, he basically says, uh, I wish I was never born and then some. You know, we read there in, in verse 1 that after this, uh, there was seven days of silence. You know, and we're going to learn a lot of things in our text. We're going to learn about um, comforters, how to be comforters. We're going to learn about sufferers, how to be sufferers. You know, here Job is going through everything he's going through, so his friends, they kind of all hook up, and then they go, and, and they visit him, and when they see him, they can't even recognize him. They can't recognize him. And so they're just sitting there for seven days. Think about that. And no one says anything. You know, the devil wanted Job to curse God and die. And I think, uh, to, to be honest with you, it wasn't just like I want you know, Job to say something bad about God and then go to heaven. I think the devil was more like I want him to deny God and go to hell. So that was the devil's agenda. But, you know, Job, praise God, you guys know the end of the book. At the end, it's so amazing how God does a work in Job. God gives him the victory. God, you know, shows that he was righteous. And, uh, you know, God reveals himself. And it's just a, an awesome ending. But it's so cool to know that he doesn't curse God. But I'll tell you what, he does curse the day he was born. Read that there in verse 1, huh? I mean, he cursed the day he was born. The day we read, uh, uh, the night we read there in verse 3. 
You know, Pastor Chuck said this, we all wish we could blot out certain days from our calendar, but with Job, it was the day he was born. You know, in verses four through six, Job seems to say that he wished that day would be darkened, darkness, or dark as mentioned in verse four, in verse five, in verse six, in verse nine, in verse five, you have that word blackness. Like I wish it was like kind of all like blotted out. He says, let there be no light on that day. Let clouds cover it. Let God not even seek it. In, in verse five, he says, let death claim it. May the darkness and the shadow of death claim that day. Let that day die. You know, that, that's what Job is saying. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's deep. He's basically saying, I wish that day didn't exist. I wish that I didn't exist. I wish that that day would die, I wish I would die. You know, he says there in verse eight, you know, let there be no um, shoutful joy of a boy being born. Um, in verse seven and in verse eight, he mentions those who curse, they arouse the Leviathan. And th that's probably in reference to uh, either professional mourners or people who have influence in the demonic realm. It's kind of a heavy statement. You know, this is a, a man who's going through some real difficult times. I don't know if you know anybody struggling out there. Chances are you probably don't know someone who's going through stuff this bad. But do you know of anybody? Is there anybody that the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind? Maybe even some of you here. You know, if you know someone, I would say go to them. You know, you might not have the right words to say, but just being there in support, listening to them, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, they need you. They need the presence. The Bible says we're to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And so just in case, because you guys, we're going to get into these guys and you're going to be like, man, they're miserable comforters. You know, but... You know, we're, we don't, sometimes we don't even go. They went, and what they found was a man that was hurting so bad. This guy was hurting so bad. In verse 11, he saw, why was I allowed to live? Why did I not die at birth? In verse 12, why was I allowed to, to grow up? Man, couldn't there have been a way, God, you could have intervened at that time where I wouldn't have the nourishment necessary to live? You know, and it, and it breaks your heart to realize, you know, the truth is that many people feel this way. I wish I was never born. I, I wish I didn't exist. I want to die. You know, what we, I, I was going online, I was looking at some articles, and I found like there are many people who wish they had never been born. There's even a lot of them out there that wish they had been aborted by their mom. There's a lot of hurting people out there. You know, and, and in looking at this, I don't know about your perspective, you know, but we could downplay it with, you know, things like, you know, we want to, hey, you're just talking foolish, you know, and grow up and man up, and we can kind of say stuff like that. But the truth is that won't change the way they feel. And, and more importantly, stuff like that, when someone is really hurting, 99 times out of 100, it won't help them. Oh, just come on, you snap out of it. No, these people, they're really hurting. 
You know, some of the best counsel we could give a counselor after being biblical and contextual, which they weren't, is to be compassionate. When you go and you see people and you visit people, man, I pray that you would have the compassion of Christ as a friend, as a counselor. Really listen to them. Listen to them, even listen to their heart. You know, do your best to sympathize with them. And I don't know if it's possible always, but even somehow try to empathize. When you go and you visit someone, and it could be so many different things that people are going through, you know, try to enter into their sorrows. You know, it's kind of crazy. I don't know if you guys knew this. Probably most of you do, because you guys probably go to the movies. And you know, the actors, whenever they're going to do a role... They, they, they really go out of their way to try to enter into that world, that, that role or whatever it is they're trying to, you know, uh, star in. And, and there's something about that Hollywood that we can bring into Hollywood, so to speak. We can bring into the church. You know, we could say if they'll be willing to do that for whatever their purpose, how about me coming now into this person's world and doing my best to try to enter in. And not only that, sometimes the very reason, you know, and God has a way of doing so many things simultaneously. He's so efficient. But sometimes the reason we're going through things is so, so that one day when we see someone else going through that, we'll be able to say, I've been there, and you're going to feel the same hurt, and you're going to go through that same thing with them. You're going to empathize with them. Don't ever, don't ever underestimate the suffering that you go through. That's part of the reason that we go through those things. And believe it or not, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us, it says in verse 4, in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You know, Job, in going through what he's going through, he has comforted many people. You know, in looking at this, we see Job is struggling. Uh, he's not only mistaken in thinking that it would have been better if he'd never been born or if he died early, he's also thinking now that death is the answer. Look at verse 13. He said, For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been in rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves or with Princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of the oppressor. The small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. You know, I can't even begin to imagine how he felt the pain he was experiencing in losing his children, his wealth, his health, covered in boils from head to toe. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been there. I'll bet some of you probably have. You're just, man, I just want to die. 
I just want to check out. I'm done. Even Paul the Apostle, the Bible says that there were times where he went through such heavy adversity and trials that it says he despaired even of life. You know, I just want to go home. I just want to go to heaven. I, I'm, the struggles are so difficult, right? I want to go and be with these kings and princes and counselors, the small, the great. Death is the great equalizer who have passed before me. You know, I just want to rest from my labor. He mentions rest in verse 13 and 17 and 18. In life where he was, he felt like a prisoner to an oppressor, as a servant uh, under the rule of some ruthless master. I mean, he is troubled. He is tired. He is weary. He wishes he was never born or that he would have died as an infant or that he would die now. You know, he didn't understand why he was still alive and allowed to suffer so much. And you know what? There's something even underneath this, just like a little truth woven in. You guys know what it is? It's the sanctity of life. He wanted to die. He was going through tremendous pain. You can't really compare him really to just anyone else because you got to understand it was the devil's full on assault upon his life. It was the devil trying to defeat God at Job's expense. So he wanted to die. Why didn't he take his life? Why didn't he just jump off a cliff? Because he knew the sanctity of life. And you guys, we need to know that in issues of abortion, we don't have the right to take life. And we need to know that in issues of euthanasia. Nowadays, there's that big push, hey man, just let people take their own lives whenever they want to. Let me tell you something, that's, 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 that's taking, you know, you're stepping now into divine territory, man. I mean, we're not done until we're done. And not until God says, I want you home now, there is still work for you to do. Yeah, it, it hurts, and yes, there's suffering, but God has a plan in all that. We need to allow him to say when. And so even though Job wanted to die, he didn't take his own life, and even though he was in extreme pain, he knew that's not an option that I have. In verse 20, he said, why is the, the light, why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter soul who long for death, but it, it does not come, and search for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes before I eat, and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me. And what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. It's crazy. He, he says he wants to die so much that he's searching for it more than hidden treasures. You know, he's convinced that if he finds the grave, that he'll find joy. And we see in verse 24 that it hurts even to eat. And he's just groaning with pain, moaning. It flows like waters, like torrents 
of a river flowing. That's how bad it was. Verse 25, it tells us that basically he said, my, my greatest nightmare had come to pass. And I don't know for sure, you guys, but more than likely for us here as parents, it's, it's when he deals, when the enemy touches our children, huh? I think that's probably the most difficult one of all. The Bible says there's no greater joy than to hear that your children are walking in truth. And so that's joy when they're not. It's like the antithesis to joy. It's the pain, you know, but then to, to lose them like this. I mean, you could go ahead and take everything else. I don't care. Take the ministry. Take the money. I don't care. Just leave my children alone. But then, you know, we do a funeral on Thursday. 21-year-old young gal killed in a, in a car accident with so much life ahead of her. You know, and I, as a parent, you know, I mean, a lot of us here would say, maybe you've never been through that, oh, I'll be good, I'll be good, I trust God, you know, and you quote all the scriptures. I don't know, man. <laughs> it's hard. This is where Job was. And, and, you know, you could probably say, well, he shouldn't have said anything and, and, and stuff. And, you know, I'm sure he should have been a stronger Christian and just, you know, and I don't know. I, I do know, though, that there is something healthy about just sharing your heart with the Lord. You know, being able to just share, this is how I feel. I just, I don't want to be a plastic Christian. I'm hurting right now, guys. I just want to die. I don't want to live. I don't even know why I was allowed to live and then lose everything the way that I did. You know, I'm not sure in reading this what direction Job's words move you, but they should move us to a place of compassion and sympathy. Now, I had a good friend. He was like an uncle or maybe even like a father. I called him Papa Frank. And he uh, lost his wife to a horrible disease. It was uh, it's sometimes referred to as mad cow's disease. And from what I understand, there have only been 300 cases that, that have ever been recorded. It's just a, it's a horrible disease. And she was a wonderful wife. Wonderful. I used to go, you know, a long time ago, many years ago, I would go, you know, and just knocking on doors or walk in the neighborhood. She was an older lady, probably about 20, 25 years older than me. But man, she loved the Lord. And we would go and we would invite people to whatever, the Easter service or different things. And she just was a beautiful person. So he saw his wife die such a horrific death. And then his son. And then himself, going through health issues for years. And I mean, he lived decades after his wife passed. And for every day that she was gone, man, I can't tell you how many times he told me, I just, I want to die, I want to go home. And I would always have to try to tell him, but God still has work for you. You got to know that. God still has work for you. God's still using you. But it was so hard for him. We know firsthand there are people out there like this. 
And, and, you know, like, what do you say to them? Have you guys ever seen that movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Yeah, it's a cool movie. The film depicts a man named George Bailey who was going through some hard times. And if you guys remember, he went by, by the bridge and he's just about to commit suicide. And then in the nick of the time, in the nick of time, in enters this angel named Clarence. Do you remember him? And, uh, and the angel comes in and, uh, and, and basically he shows George all the lives that he's touched and how different all these people in this community of Bedford Falls would have been had he never been born. And, you know, just I know it's just a movie, it's not the Bible, but, you know, looking at that movie, what did God do in the, in the movie? Did God, like, beat him up? No, God lifted him up. God encouraged him. And I think that that's what we should be doing as a church. Unlike Job's friends, self-righteous friends. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Surely you have instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now it comes upon you, and you are weary. It touches you, and you are troubled. Is not your reverence, your confidence, and, and the integrity of your ways, your hope. Again, seven days of silence. Uh, they allow Job to speak first. This guy Eliphaz then speaks up. They think he's probably the eldest. And in reading this right here, he kind of seems to be doing okay in the first five verses. He says Job used to be the instructor, the counselor, the strengthener. You guys remember, he was there at the gates. He was an esteemed man. But, you know, now the tables are turned. Now he's the one who's weary. And, you know, this is true in life. It happens uh, to us. You know, I don't know the details of anyone's life here. But more than likely, you guys, uh, we're going to get hit hard. You know, um, you young people, you think, oh, it'll never happen. Man, it happens. We're going to get hit uh, one way or the other sooner or later. You know, I might be there in the hospital bed one day, right? I don't know. Hopefully, we all get raptured, amen? <laughs> but you, if the Lord tarries, man, I might be there in the hospital bed one day needing a visitation. And I know that. That's what Eliphaz is saying right here. This is what it's, this is life. And, and so he's kind of doing okay, but then when he gets to verse 6, Oh, man, he kind of goes downhill. The NIV says it this way, Should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? He kind of questions him. And basically what he says is because you weren't pious or blameless, you're in this situation. And the only way out of this situation is to get right, get back to being pious or blameless. Because look what he says in verse 7. Remember now, whoever, whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright ever cut off? 
Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the blast of God they perish, and by the breath of his anger they are consumed. The roaring of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, and the teeth of the young lions, they're broken. The old lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. Now, it's interesting. Look again at verse 7. He says, remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the upright ever cut off? God had said Job was upright, specifically, right? When he was bragging to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's none like him, blameless, upright, fierce God, shuns evil. Now this guy is saying, you know, I mean, come on, man. No one who's upright, no one who's right on with the Lord, they don't, you know, suffer. They don't die. They don't perish. And, and basically what he's saying is you're not innocent. You're plowing iniquity. You're sowing trouble and you're reaping it. And that, my friend, is why you're suffering. You know, he thinks he's going to help him by, you know, telling him to, to get right with, you know, God and and Job, not when he was perfect, you know, but man, he was a, a right-on man. He was proper. I mean, here Eliphaz uses lions as an illustration, how one time they're strong, then they become weak. He says, Job, that's you. And what we find is that his theology was off. And there are those out there who believe that if you're a Christian, you will always be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous but they're liars. You know, sometimes God blesses us with health, not always. The truth is, um, that's not true. We're going to go through hard times. We live in a fallen world and fallen bodies. We fight fallen angels. Our Lord Jesus Christ suffered. You guys know that, right? He didn't just suffer when he died. He was a man acquainted with sorrow. I mean, who knows what he went through in life? You guys know his dad died when he was young. You guys know that. Not his, you know, heavenly father, his earthly father, Joseph. He, I'm sure he loved Joseph. His dad died. And who knows what he went through and who knows how people treated him growing up. And we know the religious leaders rejected him. People were fickle. They weren't true. He went through this. We will suffer as well because our leader did. Our Lord suffered, and as Christians, we're actually called to suffer. Now, 1 Peter 2, in verse 20 through 23, it says, But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God, for to this you were called. And so, remember that. You're called to suffer, Right? Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And so, you know, the Lord suffered. We're called to follow him. And it's important for us to know this. Know this as, as theologians. Know this as counselors. Know this as sufferers. You don't look at someone and judge them and say, well, that's the reason they're going through what they're going through because they're such a bad, and you whatever, you fill in the blank, man. You know what? Be really careful 
You know, be really careful. I think our approach has to be a little more compassionate, you know? And I, I just, as a pastor, man, I look at sometimes the things that people are going through and I'm like, man, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, you know, you might have an inclination to think that. You might have a temptation to think that. But do you really know? We don't know for sure. You got to be really careful. We have to know that as Christians, we're going to suffer at times. And as counselors going to help people, please do that ministry. Please. But do it right. As counselors, we know this. And as sufferers, we're going to know this. You know, sometimes you're going to suffer because you're doing right. And so don't buy the lie that you'll never go through things or that if you do, it's because God's punishing you as if you did something wrong. That's not, not the case always. You know, Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome this world. A long time ago, there was a guy named Steve Camp who was a musician. You guys are probably too um, young to remember him, but back in 90, he wrote a song that said, there's a hard, hard place no one ever told me of. All I ever heard about was peace and love. I was told that trouble couldn't touch a child of God. So when the trials came furiously, it nearly sucked the life out of me until I prayed. You know, carry me. And you know, don't buy the lie. Well, you're supposed to all be perfect. No, it's not. That way you're ready for it, man. You know, Aliphaz, this guy, he was off theologically. He was off objectively. He was off subjectively. Because look at verse 12. He gets a little weird, if he's, as if he's not already weird. Look at verse 12, you guys. Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it. In disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, fear came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones shake. And then a spirit passed before my face. And the hair on my body stood up. It stood still. But I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. And then I heard a voice saying, Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? If he puts no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with air, how much more those who dwell in houses of clay, whose foundation is in the dust, who are crushed, before a moth. They are broken in pieces from morning till evening. They perish forever with no one regarding. Does not their own excellence go away? They die even without wisdom. Basically, what we see right here is that Eliphaz seems to describe an experience he had. He said that he heard a word that he received a word from some spirit. You know, and maybe he thinks it's God who whispered in his ear this secret message that he needed to relay to Job. There in verse 15, he calls it a spirit, then a spirit passed before my face, and you know, the hair is standing up on your body, you know, he just freaked out. Right, and he's it's like, I got a word for you, Job. Have you ever had someone tell you that? You know what? The Lord told me to tell you this. Well, I thought God had my address too. <laughs> Be careful. 
I'm not saying despise prophecies because God can speak a word through someone, but sometimes you get weird people and they don't love you and they have the audacity to say that they're God's prophet. Be careful. You know, um, we don't despise prophecies. We know God can do that, but we test them, right? And that's what we have to do according to the scriptures. You know, this guy thinks it was God. We know it was some spirit. He says in verse 16 that it was a form he couldn't really make out. He heard a voice, and that voice shares this secret message. Again, notice in verse 12, a word was secretly wrought to me, right? And, you know, like I said earlier, um, when we go through Job, we're going to see some of the things they say are true, but they're just not applicable to him. You know, he, he comes and he brings a message that no mortal man is more righteous than God or purer than his maker in verse 17. And that's true. Of course we know that. And that even the angels fell in verse 18. Yeah, we know that. Um, and he says, well, if that can happen with angels, then how much more with men? And it's true what he's saying. But here's the thing. It's not applicable to Job. You know, a, f- a few things we learn, 1 John 4, 1, that we have to test the spirits, right? Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so, you know, someone says some dazzling experience or whatever, they saw a shadow and, I don't know, the, um, you know, they heard a voice. It doesn't mean it's God. You know, there's demons out there right, doing those types of things. We have to test them. That's why it's important for you to know the word, number one, know your Bible, and number two, be in right relationship with God where he is speaking to you and you are listening to him. Because then you'll know right away whether or not what someone is saying to you is off or not. Secondly, if someone gives you a special secret word that they supposedly heard from the Lord, Again, don't question if it's possible because God can do that, but you test it. And what I would say is ask God for confirmation to prove those words. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 through 21, talk about that. And then number three, remember, just because you have a truth in hand doesn't mean it's applicable to the person or the situation at hand. Let me ask you a question. Does God discipline sin? Yes. Was that the case for Job? No. And so we have to make sure that we understand the context of a person's life, and we have to be so careful that we don't tread on holy ground. I think we should take off our shoes knowing where we're standing. You know, no man is more righteous than God. It's true, but Job wasn't claiming to be more righteous than God, and it's kind of ironic that there was no more righteous man on earth then Job. And so this guy, even though he claimed to be some mystical prophet, he was off. And who knows, maybe he was sincere, but he was sincerely wrong. And so in verse 1, he says, call out now in verse chapter 5, if there is anyone who will answer you, And to which of the holy ones will you turn? He's still talking to Job, and he's like, you know, how are you going to pray now? For wrath kills a foolish man, and envy slays a simple one. 
He's actually accusing Job now of wrath and envy. He's getting specific in sins for whatever reason. Anger and envy. I have seen the foolish talking root, taking root, but suddenly I cursed his dwelling place. His sons are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate. There is no deliverer. I mean, he's, he's basically calling Job a fool in verse 3. And in verse 5, he's saying, that's why your kids died, because you're a fool. He says, I've seen it happen, because the hungry eat up his harvest, taking it even from the thorns, and a snare snatches their substance. Again, talking about how they took all of Job's wealth. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble spring from the ground. He's kind of saying it doesn't happen randomly, right? Yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. And, you know, that right there is an interesting passage because it, it's true. Um, we are all born, like, with in original sin. Uh, David said, in iniquity did my mother uh, knit me together. Was I knit together in my mother's womb? So we have that Adamic nature. We have that sin nature. But again, that wasn't the problem here. He says, as for me, I would seek God. Like if I were you, I would seek God. (laughs) And the God I would commit my cause. Who does great things, unsearchable, marvelous things without number. And these are actually cool things that he shares about God now. He gives rain on the earth and sends waters on the fields. Aren't you guys glad for the rain we've been getting? How many of you here have green grass now? Just out of curiosity. (laughs) Man, and I, every time it rains, I always thank the Lord. I'm all, thank you, Lord. Number one, my grass is green. And number two, I haven't had to wash my car for so long. <laughs> I mean, and this is true. He gives rain on the earth, sends water on the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. Now he's starting to insinuate Job is a little crafty and then cunning. He says in verse 13, he catches the wise in their own craftiness and in the counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. They meet with darkness in the daytime. Job had just been talking about how he felt like this was all like this crazy darkness. And Eliphaz says, well, this is why, man, because God's dealing with you. And grow up at noontime as in the night. But he saves the needy from the sword and the mouth of the mighty from their hand. So the poor have hope and injustice shuts her mouth. He's just saying, man, if you're a Christian, these things don't happen to you. If you're a believer, this, doesn't, this type of stuff, it doesn't happen to you. I actually love verse 17 and 18. Again, behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty, for he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. And you're going to see this as we go through the book of Job, that um, there are some truths here that when they're isolated and just taken there, you know, and stand alone, they're actually really, really cool verses right here. I mean, right here, he, he says, happy is the man whom God corrects. And that's a great truth taught to us here. Again, doesn't apply to Job, but, you know, it's a great truth to know. I would even say this, you guys. It's important for you to know the difference between punishment 
and discipline. The words and the terminology you use are very important. Listen, as believers, we aren't punished by God. We are not punished by God as believers because Jesus absorbed all our punishment on the cross. But as believers, we are disciplined by God. And some of you guys, you really need it, okay? I'm just saying. (laughs) You know, one guy, he said this, we need to understand the difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment is what you do to someone. Discipline is what you do for someone. And I would add this, punishment is motivated by law, sometimes necessary, but discipline is motivated by love. And when our Heavenly Father gives us the ratankaso, you guys know that happens, right? It's because He loves us. But let me tell you something, if your father spanks you, how many of you here had a father that spanked you, just out of curiosity? Hopefully you weren't abused. Um, we should, as fathers, only, we, we surely, you shouldn't use our hand, I don't think. You should get a rod, I think. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs. And, uh, and you don't hit them anywhere other than right here, you know, where there's padding. And, you know, um, don't leave a mark. But if you ever discipline your children, never do it in anger. Never. And always tell them why. Mijo, I love you. You know, this is why I have to discipline you. Now, if we do that as human parents, how much more will our Heavenly Father do that? So, you know, if Job was being disciplined, man, he would have known, God would have told him. But when someone else comes in and says, well, that's why you're, you're, you're being disciplined because you're in sin, that's a totally different story. And so let's close real quick. You know, happy is the man whom God corrects. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty, for he bruises, but he's going to bind you up. And, and he wounds, but his hands, they make you whole. Isn't that cool? That's what we need. We need to be complete. We need to grow. We need to be whole. God will deal with us. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he shall redeem you from death. And in war, from the power of the sword. Now he kind of goes back to saying, yeah, you'll never experience anything bad, you know. You shall be hidden from the scourge of the tongue. And oh, that's such a tough one. You know what that is? Verbal abuse. So devastating. And you shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at the destruction and famine. You shall not be afraid of the beasts of the earth. For you shall have a covenant with the stones of the field and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. It's like everything's going to be hunky-dory. Everyone's in this place. You shall know that your tent is in peace. You shall visit your dwelling, find nothing amiss. I mean, that's like those health, wealth, and prosperity teachers, huh? Nothing will go wrong. You shall also know that your descendants shall be many and your offspring like the grass of the earth. You're going to have a whole bunch of kids. Never experience a miscarriage. You know, I mean, that's what they think sometimes. Tell that to Zacharias and Elizabeth. They were two godly parents, people. They only had one. It doesn't always work that way. (laughs) 
You know, he says, you shall come to the grave at a full age as a sheaf of grain ripens in its season. You know, some of the godliest people have died relatively young, including our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, there is a principle in that if you do things God's way, the Proverbs talk about, you know, you're probably going to have a longer life than if you go and you do the gang life, right? But it doesn't mean that everybody who loves the Lord lives to a ripe old age. You know, some people, they, they, the Lord calls them home sooner. These guys, their theology is off. He says, behold this, we have searched out. It is true. Hear it and know for yourself. And all we can say is, dude, you did not search it out. <laughs> it's not true. And you're going to find out because God in the end is going to deal with all these guys. You see, um, we can't always say that calamities and tragedies and difficulties are God you know, chastening us because of our sin. Uh, sometimes, yes, but in this case, and with Job, it definitely was not. And I tell you what, it wasn't that way with our Lord Jesus Christ either, huh? Talk about living a sinless life. You know, he suffered and he died for us the most innocent for the most guilty. And it's for that reason that we can come to a Bible study tonight. We can praise and we can understand the word. We can go and live our life and we can be comforters. Hopefully you find someone out there this week to comfort. And we can even go and live life and, and whatever comes our way, you know, whatever it is the suffering that we will experience, we can know because everything has been filtered through the hands of our Heavenly Father that there is, there is pain for the purpose. There is purpose for the pain. And I always tell people this, the greater the pain, the greater the purpose. And so you guys, we follow Jesus. And I'm so glad that I'm saved. How about you? Are you guys glad you're saved? Praise God, man. <laughs> Romans 8.28, right? For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. It doesn't mean that all things isolated are good, but it means that all things work 